and uh, there are Cameron boobies and different kinds, but they're uh, they're an essential part of the overall ecosystem, and um, and they're incredible. They're they're so fun to see. After going on the trip, we discovered that we're bigger booby guys than we had known. <laughs> oh well. This show's taking a turn. Let me see if I can veer us back on course for a second. So um, I'm sensing this may be the open of the show. <laughs> uh, you never know. everybody to this week's episode of the DCL Duo podcast brought to you by my path unwinding travel. And Sam, we're cruising, but we're cruising someplace different today, right? We are. And I'm super jealous of the these guests and the trip that they were able to do. But I'm so, so excited because this is one of those shows where we get to talk to friends. And these are two friends who we spent a ton of time with on our Norwegian Fjords cruise. And so we'd love to welcome Chris and Sam number two to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, guys. Great to be here again. And yeah, it's uh, uh, this was a very different trip from from as we'll get into very different from from the Norwegian fjords. Yes. And Sam, we're excited to have you on for the first time. So welcome to you as well. Thank you. I was waiting for my proper intro, but I'll take that as well. (laughs) For those who don't know, go back and listen to part two of our Norway trip report and the Sam 1, Sam 2 conversation is in there. So uh, anyway, well, we're excited to have you both on. We're going to be talking about a different three-letter acronym than DCL. We're going to be talking about ABD and their new adventure cruising or expedition cruising that they have started up. I think this year was the first year they did it. And we're going to be going all the way to the Galapagos Islands with uh, Sam and Chris. So we're excited excited to do that. But before we dive into that topic, we like to always remind folks of our guests' cruising backgrounds, Disney cruising backgrounds, Disney backgrounds. So Sam, I'm actually going to start with you since it's your first time on the show. You want to talk about your background with cruising with Disney and all that fun stuff? Absolutely. I married into my background. <laughs> I, uh, I had never been to the parks. Uh, we did a, in high school, they did the senior class trip down to Florida. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, and that was what the senior class trip was. And I opted out of it. Instead of spending money to go there, I bought a dirt bike instead. But it, it's totally fine. It paid off in the end because after meeting Chris, I've been down dozens of times at, at this point. And I think I'm on cruise number six or number seven, somewhere around there. Ooh, you've reached gold level status. Very, yes, very well I, done. Yes, I reached it with, with, with the last cruise. And I, I think they're missing one. I was trying to look through and I felt like they were missing one, but I'm uh, I'm slowly reaching uh, seniority. Yeah. It'll take you a while to catch up with Chris though. So just, you know, keep at it. <laughs> The problem is every cruise you go on, Chris is on, so you're not going to ever catch up. But yeah, you know, it'll, one... the gap may seem a little less daunting, but it's it's going to be the same gap forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be hard for him because I, my schedule is just different, and the job that I do is different. Like I have to cruise, so uh, there it, I may get a little distance on him. But we'll we, we always we love cruising, so it's uh, it's always fun. And we are always excited to have you on. And so actually, Chris, did you say how many cruises you? You had been on? I think I have to go and count. And with Disney rolling out their new reservation system, they don't they don't have it available online, which really frustrates me. I like knowing which cruises I've done. 
I think this was uh, Nor- Norway was number twenty for me, I believe. And and for ABD, I know Chris that you had done. Uh, how many ABDs had you done prior to the Galapagos? So Galapagos was my third. So I had done uh, the one that we actually talked on on an earlier show uh, in Southern California. We did Disneyland and Hollywood, uh, and then Sam and I, which I'll let him talk about, did uh, London and Paris, and then Disneyland Paris back in 2019 before the world blew up. Oh wow. It was a great trip prior to the Norwegian Fjords cruise. It was the, I mean, it was my favorite trip that we've ever gone on. That was, I mean, that wasn't cruise related, but just of all of our trips that we've done, that was my favorite. Wait, does Nor- does Norway beat out the cruise that we're getting ready to talk about, Galapagos? I think it does, but for different reasons. I mean, there are things that you can do in the Galapagos that you cannot do in Norway. I mean, it's just physically impossible, but I, Norway was just a bucket list trip for me. So I've been, I've been counting down for a long time. The Galapagos was not really on my radar as some place that I needed to go to. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but after going on the trip, it's something that definitely would have been on my bucket list had I known how awesome it was. Well, let's define Adventures by Disney. I think we did this on the last episode uh, we did with you, Chris, as well. So I'm going to let you do that again. But do you want to help folks understand Adventures by Disney and where that falls in sort of the Disney portfolio of travel products here? Yeah, I mean, it's it's by far the smallest. Um, and and I think it doesn't get a lot of attention. You see you see the signs when you're coming out of Soren down in down in Florida. Um, they, they have labels for Adventure by Disney. But this is really travel that is not related to a park. And it's different than Disney Cruise Line even. These are, are much smaller trips. They go to China. They go to Japan. They go to, we mentioned London and Paris. They do have some that are connected to parks, like the, the one in Southern California where you'd get backstage, you get uh, uh, different scenes of, of Disneyland and Hollywood. But most of them are, are not connect, connected to a theme park. And, and they're, they're high level. You have guides who are with you. They take care of things almost before you think about it, like they've taken care of it. And if you have any issues or problems, they fix all those, which is very, very nice to have, have folks who are just there watching out for you and they move luggage so you don't have to deal with all that stuff. They they take care of it all. And they do also do great things like you get into, we are doing an adventure by Disney next summer in uh, Rome. They have a two-day tour of Rome and they get you into the Sistine Chapel before it opens. So you get to be in the Sistine Chapel alone without hordes of people there. And and the thing that I love that they do is it's also, it, it still is family. So one of the things that I love about Disney traveling, whether it be cruise or parks, or is it's kind of self-selecting. You're getting people who are, think about, they want a family trip, right? It's not just kids. It's not just adults. But it's families coming together and and enjoying this this special time together, making these memories. And and they always focus on things so that kids aren't bored. And we'll talk about that in connection with the Galapagos. But they're they're very focused on that to make sure that there's stuff for kids of all ages, as Disney would put it. I think it's important to note that it's not just international. I mean, of course, you mentioned the California trip, but they have a pretty healthy list of itineraries that you can do in the US. I mean, they do in Colorado, they have a, one that includes dog sledding for a few days They go to Yellowstone National Park, Grand Canyon, uh, any, any of the national parks, I believe. So it's, it's it goes beyond just international travel. There's a whole bunch of things you can do right in the United States if you don't want to leave the country. So I'm curious, Chris, how you landed on doing an Adventures by Disney to the Galapagos. This is a fairly recent thing for them or a new thing for them. And so what sort of sparked your interest in going to the Galapagos with ABD? 
Well, I had done, I, this was my second time to Galapagos and I had, uh, I did it back in the big dark ages before I knew Sam, before I had a child, but I knew when I was in the Galapagos, I wanted, this is a place that all the things that your kids learn in school, they actually get to see them in real life in this magical, amazing place. So all these science things that they're learning about. Um, we had an eight-year-old on our trip. I wouldn't take an eight-year-old. I think they need to be a little bit older. Nick is 11. And I think that was a perfect age for him. I really wanted to to take him to see this amazing place. And this was a multi-generational vacation, I'll call it. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, my, my mother came with us. My mother, I, I'm not going to give her age because she will hunt me down and kill me. But she's older than I am. How's that? I'm in my late uh, mid to late 50s and she's older than I am. I think that feels safe. <laughs> I'll give you her age. I have nothing to lose. She's 80 years old. Thank you. <laughs> um, oh my God. I'm not, now I can't send this out to her. Um, but yeah, so she came with us and, and my mother is, she is an active 80 year old. She bikes thousands of miles every year. The thing she does get concerned about is uh, falling. So uh, she was cautious on some of the hikes and because she didn't want to, you know, fall and break something or particularly, I mean, you're on a boat in the middle, not the middle of the Pacific, but in the Pacific. I'm not sure you, I'm sure Glaucos hospitals are awesome. I'm not sure that's where you want to go. So, so she was just cautious about things like that. But by and large, she did 70% of the things that we did, she participated in. I, I was just talking to her the other day. She, she, so the rooms, the way the rooms are set up, you have two people rooms. They're not like, they're not, they're not nearly as big as uh, Disney Cruise Line rooms. They're probably half the size of that. And, uh, and so it's two people per room. Uh, she got to be bored up with her, with her grandson and they, she lives on the West coast. Um, and so doesn't get to spend nearly as much time. She really got a kick out of being able to spend 10 days with her grandson. That was certainly one of her highlights. I think probably of the last couple of years, like that's very special for her. Especially after the pandemic and probably not being able to see you all so often living on the opposite coast. Should we talk about I feel like we should we should talk about traveling to get to this cruise because that's kind of a, a big part of this. It's quite far away. So tell us how how does one get to the ship in order to sail in the Galapagos? Not easily. I'll let Sam talk about our adventures. And and again, we had my mother coming from from the West Coast. We were coming from the East Coast and trying to coordinate and it's it's for some reason, it's challenging. It's a lot more challenging getting south than it is like getting to Europe or getting to. It was it was hard. Yeah, it was it was really challenging. So we, her travel agent, actually uh, was able to get, find flights for us. She was flying from San Francisco. We were coming from DC. We were both going to fly into Houston and meet there, and then from Houston, we would be able to fly right to Quito, Ecuador. Patty's flights were on time. Everything was all good to go. We got to the airport when we needed to get there. Uh, we had lunch at the airport kind of relaxing ourselves, easing ourselves into the adventure. It's going to be a long flight to Houston and then from Houston to Quito. But while we were sitting having lunch, we got a, uh, a notification that our flight was delayed because they needed parts for the air conditioning. So they, they predicted a six-hour delay, which it's fine. I mean, six hours is it's a long time, but it's fine if you're only going from point A to point B. But when you have to go to point C, we would have just missed our connection. So we, uh, we ended up having to get a hotel room for half a night. 
We slept until probably 10 o'clock, went back to the airport. We had a 1 a.m. flight from Washington, D.C., the Dulles Airport to Panama City on Copa Airlines, which is partnered with United. It was fine. We got there. It was as easy as it could be, but it it really threw a wrench into the plans that we did have. And and there's a lot of stress around traveling anyway these days, right? I mean, they're going to COVID test us before we get on board. So that's hanging over you. And and then just like, I mean, it would be an issue if my mother's down there able to get on and we don't show up, it, like it just throws a lot of wrenches. And so it's the way travel is these days. And I think travel south, I mean, there were a lot of the other folks on on the journey with us also had issues. So I think just traveling south ends up being a little bit different than it is like if you're traveling to London or Paris, it's not, there don't, don't feel like there's as many uh, options out there. Now, when you guys get to Quito, was the plan to stay over there one night, two nights, and what ended up actually happening? So we originally were going to have a day in Quito to kind of poke around Quito for a day before we headed out to the Galapagos. We lost a day. So, and we were staying right at the airport. There's a, um, I think it's a Marriott, which was very convenient, particularly given that we had had this travel day. So being able to go literally five minutes away and get into our hotel was super awesome. Um, we were all pretty exhausted and wiped out. And and we just lost that keto day, unfortunately. So, you know, hopefully we'll get back there at some point. I, I, I had been there before, but um, hopefully we'll get get back there. Quito's gorgeous. Um, and even the fly-in from the airport, it, it, it's spectacular to see. It's, I believe, the highest nation capital in terms of elevation. So you're pretty high up and was and it's a gorgeous place to fly into. So you have two flights then after you've gotten to Quito, you've got two flights to get to the Galapagos. Where where do they take you? you are, are you headed right to the ship at that point? So, so yes, we go uh, fly from Quito to Guayaquil. We don't even get off the plane in Guayaquil. They they do some changeover in terms of passengers, but we're we're on the so on the ground for about forty five fifty minutes, and then it heads out to the Galapagos. Galapagos, you get off, and it's not as you might imagine. Well, before I went out there the first time, the thought I like I was like, hold on, there's even an airport in the Galapagos. I had no idea. And just to give people, and I won't go into all the islands because it won't mean anything to anybody, but there are a bunch of Galapagos Islands. There are four that actually have populations living on them. There are about 12 to 15. It kind of depends who you talk to. They give different numbers all the time. Um, But 12 or 15, and doing air quotes, big islands. But there are uh, probably 125, 130 islands, and it depends on what you classify as a as an island as to whether they counted those or not. But there are a lot. The Galapagos Island is this archipelago that's created much like Hawaii was. Sam can do the geology stuff, being a, being having a geology background. But essentially, an underwater volcano creates these things, and then the tectonic plate moves, and that's how you get this line of island. And so it's it's fascinating to see. I mean, I was I was telling Nick, my son, that you know you not only get to see the evolution of animals, but you also get to see the evolution in terms of geology. So you have old islands that are literally you know beaten being eaten alive by the by the sea, and new islands that are were created recently, you know, a couple hundred thousand years ago. And and you get to see that whole wealth of of geology. So it's it's really really cool. So you fly in. And it is a all green airport. It's very cool. They have solar panels on the roof. They have a big air turbine there. 
there are big old uh, iguanas walking around the airport. <laughs> it's really like, okay, we're no longer, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore. It is, it's quite cool to see. You know, they're very careful about the ecological aspects. And I mean, in order to tour, you have to have Galapagos tour guides. You can't just go on your own to, to see Galapagos. You have to have tour guides. Over and over and over again, there are, they list out the rules like you can't get within 10 feet of animals. You are really visiting their home. You're a visitor. And you, so you have to you keep your distance. You don't, you don't interfere. You certainly don't feed them. All those kinds of things. Those are stressed to you over and over and over again, both while you're entering but also on the trip all the time, they they are constantly reminding you that this is this is a very special place on the planet, and and we need to keep it that way. From a logistics standpoint, which portion of the travel do you have to take care of figuring out versus which portion does ABD uh, sort of arrange or take care of? Disney took care of getting to the Galapagos from Quito. We took care of getting to Quito. Okay, so you finish these two flights and you you get to the Galapagos, you see these huge lizards in the airport. Sam, tell us where they take you next. So they get us through their uh, version of customs. They get us through everything, all the, all the testing, make sure you're not bringing in anything that you shouldn't. Once you get through all of that, you go outside of the airport and you have the, that's the first time you see your adventure by Disney guides. They're holding their signs saying adventures by Disney and they're gathering everybody together. And then they throw you on a coach bus and you have maybe, what was it? Five to seven minute bus ride down to the ocean where there are little pongas waiting for you with the people who you find out are going to be your actual tour guides. They're called naturalists. What are pongas? Sorry. I don't even, I don't know what that word is. Oh, well, they also call it a, a dinghy, a dinghy or a panga. It's one of those like inflatable boats with a, with an outboard motor on the back of it. So this ship holds uh, 60 guests. The, uh, we were on the Galapagos legend. It holds 60 guests. They ended up breaking us up into probably six different, you know, six to 10 different groups. And they give, gave us different names. That way, it wasn't like 60 people all going some places. You had a group of, of like 10 people that you were, were traveling with, you know, that you would spend most of your time with. One of the fun moments was as you're taking the bus from the airport, what's a five-minute trek to where you get on the boat out to the ship? How's that? <laughs> and you get to see your first uh, blue-footed booby is sitting there, you know, just doing its thing, uh, hanging out right, right there. And like everyone's leaning over. <laughs> uh, by the end, it's funny. By the end, you're like, "Oh, another blue-footed booby!" But that first one is like everyone wants to see the blue-footed booby. This is a family show, Chris. I don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> but wow! No, bird, I'm just kidding. Brian, I'm just kidding. I understand. I understand. <laughs> we we were the booby group. So, and and our naturalist would always say, "Okay, come on, my boobies!" And I would just, <laughs> I and the ten year olds would break out into peals of laughter because I just enjoyed it so much. All right, there's a there's a bingo card or a drinking game in this show somewhere. <laughs> exactly. so, uh, well, the, the interesting thing that I didn't, uh, I don't think I knew before this trip was there are multiple kinds of boobies. Blue footed boobies are just one kind of booby. There are multiple kinds of boobies. So they really have blue feet. By the way, I'm looking online at pictures of them right now, and they really have these cool blue feet. That is they have awesome. Blue feet. They are so cool. And they're all over the place. It's not the only place that they have blue-footed boobies, but they have blue feet. And uh, there are Cameron boobies and different kinds, but they're uh, they're an essential part of the overall ecosystem. And um, and they're incredible. They're they're so fun to see. After going on the trip, we discovered that we're bigger booby guys than we had known. 
Oh, well. This show's taking a turn. Let me see if I can veer us back on course for a second. So um, I'm sensing this may be the open of the show. Uh, you never know. After seeing all of these amazing birds, uh, <laughs> um, I don't want to say amazing boobies. Uh, <laughs> after seeing all of these amazing birds, at some point you get to the ship. And I'm curious about first impressions of the ship because it's not, it's not Disney Cruise Line. It's not even Disney owned. And so... First impressions when you came upon the the ship you were going to be sailing on because this is a if I'm remembering correctly this is a is this Ponant that they're using for the Galapagos or is it a different line I, I don't know which line it was um, but it, it's it but the, my first impression was this is not a Disney ship it, it, I mean the first time moment you see the the Disney ships you just I'm always I always marvel at them I, I mean even like when we were on the Magic this is not a young ship and it they are just so. Mat- meticulously maintained and just they're lovely lovely vessels this was a nice vessel i wouldn't go with meticulously maintained i would say overall the staff was awesome but the ship was i would say it was okay you know like there were a lot of barnacles on the bottom you never for some reason you never i don't know how disney (laughs) cruise line deals with that but you don't ever see those on the disney ships it's also much, I mean, this is, again, this is 60 people, 60 guests, as opposed to the, you know, on the small Disney Cruise Line ships, which hold, what, two, two, three thousand. It's a different, if it's a different scale. And how was the boarding process? I mean, boarding should be pretty quick then. Once you, once you get on, you get on and off these Tongas and they're very good about helping you get on. That was the most challenging part of was getting on and off from the, from the little Zodiac onto or off of the, the bigger, bigger ship. And it absolutely is intimidating because you, you really have a rubber raft that's next to a ship, which there are two people staying on the rubber raft holding ropes that are attached to a ship, trying to pull it to into the ship. So it's at least not rocking back and forth in one of the access, but it's still bobbing up and down with the waves. So it's really, it can be challenging to time your steps right when you get off the ship and try and get into the rubber raft. And there were a couple people who nearly fell in, but yeah, they take it very seriously. They, they want you to use your proper form. You have to use a specific kind of grip when you're getting into and out of the ship. So it's, it, yeah, it's definitely intimidating. But I will say no one fell in. There were, the entire time we were together, not one single time did we have somebody who fell in. So they know what they're doing if, you know, and they're very careful. And I mean, the people who ran the ship were, I, I can't say enough about them. I thought they did a great job. And they, again, they know how to manage the, the these kinds of situations. And what kind of room did you guys have on board? There were, there are staterooms that have balconies. We did not have a, have a balcony. Initially we were going to be, we just had a portal. We got bumped up. So we at least had a, had a window, which was nice. I, I think I've said earlier, it's about half the size, maybe even a little bit more, maybe 60% less than a, than a Disney cruise line room. You have pretty much have room for your two beds. You have a shower and toilet and stuff and and then a little bit of a closet. And that's pretty much it in these rooms. They're not big. If you want to hang out, you're going elsewhere in the ship. The beds that we had were not... I, I, calling them bed is, is nice. It's like a cot with a mattress. It's narrower. It's long enough that we could both fit on it. We're both about six feet tall. But the width is very narrow. It's narrower than a twin bed. I kind of sleep in the recovery position. Like if someone has alcohol poisoning, you know, they have the the one leg over the other knee bent and that'll take up the entire bed. So if you're someone who takes up a lot of room, this size bed may, uh, may lead to some sleepless nights. 
I'm also curious, we, we didn't talk about this, but uh, I think it will hit on a couple of different things that you've flagged in the, uh, the notes that you sent us, which is how does one pack <laughs> to go to the Galapagos? Because it sounds like a very active trip. Uh, I don't know if there's special gear that's needed or that was provided versus what you need to bring with you. But how how does one pack? And as you're talking about these these small boats taking you out to your smaller boat, like it seems like there's probably also a constraint on the luggage a little bit. So I'm just curious about the packing. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and and it is it's intimidating. And also, I, I just wasn't sure of what the weather would be like. It was hard to find like, okay, what is the temperature in Galapagos is a bunch of islands. It, the weather on a specific island can, can change from one side of the island to the other. So just finding out what it was going to be like felt very challenging. So we brought a little bit of everything and I wore 98% of what I brought, which I, that always, I, I'm always thrilled when that happens. Generally, the weather was was fine. It uh, we we did have one rainy day, and again, sometimes this can happen from one side of the island to the other. One side of the island will be rainy and cool; the other side of the island would be very warm. the The ship does provide things like wetsuits and and snorkels and all those kinds of things. Other things you had to bring. We didn't bring uh, hiking boots. We just brought like tennis shoes that were were hiking accessible. In fact, the same ones I, I used on in uh, our hike in Norway, the same ones that I used in Galapagos. And in general, you're not doing uh, the hiking we did in Norway was was I would say more aggressive than most of what you're doing in the Galapagos. So I would say it, if ten is like very strenuous hiking, I would say it was maybe a four or five. Did they limit how much luggage you could bring, you know, on the boat? One bag. You could bring one one bag, one carry-on. So yeah, they did. Uh, anything that they provided to you to to help out with any of the activities? There were there weren't really many items that you would have needed. The naturalists, they carried binoculars with them, so you could borrow their binoculars if you wanted to. They had a whole pile of hiking sticks, so if somebody wanted hiking sticks uh, for a path that was going to be a little more jagged and rocky, they could use a hiking stick. Other than that, there wasn't much that needed to be provided other than life jackets, like snorkeling gear if we were going to go snorkel. Sam, I'm curious what you thought about the facilities on the boat, uh, just the, the the common spaces or the, the shared spaces on board. I mean, typically the boat is not the destination for these kinds of things. It's the, the Galapagos Islands. So but like what was available on board and how were the common spaces? So the common spaces you actually come to appreciate. There is more. They have a, a library on board. They have some quiet spaces to hang out. And you kind of find that you want to use those spaces when you're not adventuring because every day you have a couple activities where you're snorkeling or you're hiking. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but doing it every day, it starts to become a little strenuous and you, you definitely start to feel tired as the trip goes on. So I think most people were utilizing those spaces, uh, the library and the couches that they had set up. They did have a gym on board. It's about what you would expect for a gym on a, a 60 person ship. It's uh, a couple of cardio p- uh, pieces like uh, stationary bikes. They have one rowing machine and they have one set of 10 pound dumbbells. And of course they have yoga mats. If you're, if you're going there and expecting to be able to do your workouts every day, it's not going to happen. I am someone who I would consider very active with keeping up with my gym routine, but I felt decent enough just going on the adventures every day. Uh, I was <laughs> certainly burning a- enough calories between a hiking and a snorkeling that I didn't feel like I needed to do something extra every single day. And they do have one quote unquote main pool that's up on the back of the of the ship, which is is nice and people used 
I think it was heated. And and then they have two hot tubs that are one deck down on the very back of the ship that are great to sit in. And particularly, we, we're moving, the ship is moving all the time, um, you know, sometimes multiple times in a day. And so it's a, it was a great place to sit and watch the watch the rock formations go by and sit in, sit in this hot tub. It, that was really, really nice. Yeah, I imagine after a long day of, you know, hiking, your muscles could use that hot tub, actually. Well, and they also had, they had a spa person uh, so you could do massages and stuff in that in-between time as well, which was which was great. We didn't happen to take advantage of it, but a lot of people did. And it was nice to have those people around. The other thing they had were uh, there was a bar outside by the back, which, which got plenty of views. And then one inside, they have a general room where we would all gather because they would do daily briefings on what was coming up the next day, what we're going to be seeing, what we're, what to look for, those kinds of things. And so they would do those briefings in that space. And there was a, a bar there. The, I, I, I was really impressed with, you know, like most ships, it's very e- efficient. They use their, their space very efficiently, but I thought they used it very well. They had an out, the top deck had, was an outside seating area for either breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And then they had uh, down below an inside seating area for breakfast, lunch, or dinner depending on where they were were doing it and they had a, they had a grill and i mean they would they made hamburgers one day that were were grilled out that that was they did steaks they did all sorts of things it was great I was impressed. One thing we haven't really talked about is uh, demographics overall. I mean, I know you mentioned that you think eight is too young. I think that you said was maybe the minimum age. But what was the age variety look like on on this trip? It was a lot of generational trips for a lot of folks. So you had kids, parents, and grandparents. And there were several sets of those. So eight was the youngest. I think that probably is as young as you can go, but I don't know that for a fact. And then age was, it went all the way up. I I think my mother was probably around the, you know, that was probably the amongst the oldest. Um, So it was a good, it was a good matching of folks. You know, as I said earlier, it's one of the things that I like about Disney cruises is that even people who are, they do these kind of family trips together and it's, and it's great to see and great to be a part of. And, you know, it was great meeting people from all over the country to, um, to share, share their stories. It was, it was fun. I imagine when you say all over the country, imagine most, if not all of the passengers were American. I'm trying to go quickly go through my list. Yes, I think they were all American. Everybody was American. Yeah. Well, we need to take a quick pause in the action to thank our amazing show sponsor over at My Path Unwinding Travel. We have really come to love all of the agents over at My Path Unwinding Travel who you've heard on this show. So many of their agents have been on the show sharing their great experiences with concierge sailing, adventures by Disney, and just unique sailings across the Disney portfolio. And so have really come to rely on their expertise as we think about our own vacations, questions we've had about sailing concierge for the first time, questions about unique itineraries, and they are just so knowledgeable, so friendly, so giving of their time. My Path and Winding has some fabulous Facebook groups out there that you can join around concierge sailing, the Disney Wish, the Disney Treasure, just all kinds of great groups where they answer questions from people who haven't even booked vacations with them. So love, love, love the great experience, expertise, friendliness of My Path Unwinding Travel. So if you are thinking about booking your next Disney Cruise Line vacation, maybe been thinking about taking the leap and upgrading to concierge, or have been eyeing some special adventures by 
Disney trip or really just want to benefit from the knowledge and expertise that a great travel expert can provide, highly recommend heading over to mypathunwinding.com slash DCL Duo to book your next fabulous vacation. Use that link so they know the DCL Duo sent you. And with that, back to our episode. And then what kinds of stuff did they get up to on board or or off the ship, frankly, uh, for the kids? Were there kids specific activities? Obviously, we don't it's not a kids club like there is on a on a you know large cruise ship. Uh, I'll let you ask Nick about the kids club because there was a kids club. I would do air quotes. It's it, this is not like a Disney ship kids club. They had a room that had some kids books in it and some smaller chairs and stuff like that. But it was and and it it was where the kids would hang out. I mean, one of the real things that I came away very pleased about this trip was the the number of kids. I would say it was probably 60 or 70% adults, 30, 40% kids. And that was great for Nick because it meant that I didn't have to do jazz hands all the time to entertain him. He, he would go and hang out with the kids. And they had a great time. Initially, they were, uh, I think, a little rambunctious and running through the halls and stuff like And so we had to like, okay, come on, kids, you're sharing space. This is a ship. And they eventually found their, you know, they, they made different groups. They were playing hide and seek through the ship. The Disney guides put on a dance party one night. The last night, they actually give us uh, money and we do like a secret Santa kind of thing, you know, a gift exchange. So everyone, we're in this one town where... You can't find anything to buy in this town, but we all have our $5 to find something. So people are buying things and exchanging, which was fun. They did things like that throughout the trip where they made sure that the kitty kids had had some kind of activity. Let's let's talk about some of the, the sites you get to see and and things you get to do. Obviously, it sounds like it's quite an active trip. Uh, but tell us, like, what kinds of what kinds of things did you guys get to do and see while on this trip? Sam, why don't you start? So generally speaking, there was a lot of, it was either hiking or snorkeling or kayaking. I think almost every day we had a hike of some sort and it would be on a different island. You would go along with the naturalists who are basically experts on the island. They have to be of Galapagos descent and they spend years training and learning about everything they need to know about the Galapagos Islands, really. Um, You take the little ponga ride from the ship to the island and then they walk you along a designated path. It's not, again, it's not well-maintained. There are basically just stakes on either side saying, stay between these and you'll be good to go. You walk through the naturalists and they're telling you all about the plants, all about the animals that you're seeing, and they can be different on every single island. There are some islands that have one specific kind of animal there and then nowhere else in the world or on maybe they're in other places in the world, but only on that one island in the Galapagos and the same with the plants. So they're telling you everything about that, how they got there and answering any questions that you may have that come up. I will say one of my favorite moments, and it was on my last Galapagos trip, it was also on this one, is your first day and you go out there. You take your little tonga and you get off. Then you're walking around and you see, we, we saw a lot of boobies, but you, there are also these amazing birds called frigate birds. And, and from the air, when you see them uh, uh, going through the sky, they look kind of prehistoric. They have these split tail wings and their beak kind of has this bend down that has almost like a, a hook on the end. And it, they just have this kind of prehistoric look to them. And it's an amazing situation because you come up to them and the men, the male bird, frigate birds, build the nests. And then they sit on their nest and they have this red chest that they puff out. And they put out their wings and they make this noise that's like, and the female frigate birds fly over and see who's the most attractive and who built the best nest. 
and then chooses who their mate is going to be. It's not a bad job for the female frigate birds, it seems to me. It always kind of reminds me of that first time you saw Jurassic Park, where like all of a sudden they show the dinosaurs and you go, oh my goodness. Well, this is kind of that scene, but it's real life. Like these birds are doing their puffed up, this red chest of theirs and making these sounds. And you're like, oh my, uh, again, I'm not in Kansas anymore. This is... This is a place that you don't get to see. And they are as far from me as, I mean, they're like 10, 12 feet away. They're so close. This is a very animal and plant-focused trip. And so you're getting to see, we got to see one day we saw albatross. And albatross are are big birds. They're, they probably, I don't know how big the wing, wingspan is, but it, I mean, it feels like a six, eight, 10 feet across. I mean, they're big birds, but albatross mate for life. They pair up and that's their pairing. And they have this dance that they do and they come to uh, Galapagos to lay their eggs. And they do this dance that where they tap their beaks together and they shake their head and they do like there's where they toss their head from one side to the other. And, and again, we are seeing it. We're 10 feet away and they're and you can hear you could you're so close. You can literally hear their beaks tapping. I mean, it, and it's almost like like it's an instrument or something. It is. It's just amazing. The other thing that I, I'm always blown away by are there these um, iguanas. The only place in the world where iguanas have evolved, they swim in the water. And this is, they eat the algae. And so you see, in order to stay warm, they lay in these clumps of iguanas and they process the salt water by they have this other gland that looks like a nose. And so they're all spitting out the salt from the salt water. And so you walk by these iguanas that are all spitting out. And they, and again, you're so close, you can hear them doing this little as they spit out the salt. But it is, it's just the most amazing thing to see all these iguanas just doing doing their thing. It's also amazing beyond the animals and learning about the biology, you get to learn a lot about the anthropology of the islands, how people came to be there. We actually had a couple islands where we visited where we could see what the people were up to. So we we visited a special needs school on one location. They were selling their art to help fund whatever they needed for the school. We visited a, um, a coffee plantation where they walked us through the whole process and how they get everything taken care of there. So I mean, that was also, it, it was as fascinating as the animals, just seeing how different people live in very different places in the world. We also got to see, I mean, you get to see underwater. We saw, uh, my thrill always is seeing these iguanas swimming in the water is amazing. uh, You see more sea lions, uh, sea lions everywhere. Sam and Nick actually were swimming with like a pack of, of these young sea lions and and one kind of nudged Sam along, like, come on, play. You know, it was, <laughs> I mean, they are literally, they're just out there doing their thing. You know, they're fine being looked at. And they also have these Galapagos crabs that are just the most intense red that I think I've ever seen. Got to swim with sea turtles. And, and so seeing a sea turtle underwater just doing its thing, you know, again, it's it's not, it feels so unzoo-like. It, it's, it's incredible. And we also, one of the hikes is to a place where this whole lava field has created. So it, it feels like something out of Star Wars because literally it looks like this land is folded over each other. It almost looks like it's in motion because it's it's in waves and it's just the way that it is hardened. The, the sea and everything is just magical. But there's one place where there's this crevice. And and of course, Nick is taking a, a photo of him like being swallowed up by the land. Sam has to take it one level up and is doing his uh, feet straight up in the air as if he's in the uh, in the lava. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> like he's being it's swallowed by the lava. Being swallowed by the lava. One other thing that I want to mention because it connects back with our our Norway cruise. They you one of the places you visit is called the Galapagos Post Office. It's been there for forever. I mean, uh, back before they had like real live ways of communicating, pirates would leave messages there and it would be a way people would exchange these messages and they get back to, but they still do it. And so you go there and we left messages and you also pick some up and deliver them. So we picked up a bunch for, we live in the DC area. So we, we mailed them off to folks here in DC. We also picked up a bunch from Norway. And so when we were, we knew we were visiting Norway. So we pulled a bunch from Norway and sent them when we were in one of the towns in Norway and dropped, visited the Norway post office and dropped them off. And, and I just noted on all of them that, Hey, we were in the Galapagos earlier this summer. We wanted to, we wanted to drop off your mail. We're, we're on a Norway cruise now. And so I wanted you to have. So it, those those kinds of things, I think, were really fun. That's awesome. I had I heard about that practice because I have some other friends, a uh, friend through work who went to the Galapagos and ended up finding you know a letter or a postcard for someone who lived like right near them and ended up hand delivering it. And I thought that was just such a cool such a cool idea. I feel like we need to hear about some of the food on board this ship, or I don't know if you guys eat off the ship because um, I'm not sure. It's not like probably there's, you know, restaurants in the middle of hiking trails and things like that. So I imagine most of your eating was done on the ship, but curious as to the quality of food and and let's use a, you know, sort of Disney Cruise Line as your baseline. So, you know, what kind of offerings did they have? Was it sit down? Was it buffet style? What did it sort of look like as compared to large ship cruising? So yeah, it was all sit down and it was all buffet style. It was Disney Cruise Line-esque in that you had an assigned waiter or waitress and they would take care of your drink orders and be clearing things off your table as you needed to. They would take care of any requests that you had. They had two two sit down restaurants. One was up on the top deck, open to the air, and the other was downstairs on their on their lowest deck. And I mean, the ship is only four decks tall total. So I mean, you're not having to do some massive climb to get to one or the other. Everyone eats together at the same exact time. The food was really good. We were actually very impressed by it. I think we were a little nervous about it. But compared to Cabana's, I think the food on the Galapagos Legend was actually better. Um, They had a really nice spread. They didn't have a huge variety of things every night. Not as much as Cabana's, for example. But it was enough that everybody could find something that they wanted to eat. They had a salad bar. They had a couple different uh, vegetarian options, multiple options for protein every night, and (laughs) plenty of opportunity to get in your vegetables. So they actually... It was above and beyond what we had expected in terms of food. Any kind of fancier dining options, if you wanted? Is there is there any sort of... There were uh, those where there was one place to eat every night, and that's where you were eating. Yeah, it was uh, no. The the ship isn't that big. I will say the uh, upper deck, and we got to eat up there several times, and it's great. And it actually had these boats, kind of smaller boats that kind of look like the rescue boats that they have on the Disney Cruise Line, but smaller because the ship's not that big. But they had made them so they were places where where people could eat. The ship was very. It was fun and eating outside. And there was one night where we got you know the the mountains are there in the distance and. It was an incredible place to eat. Also, the stars are different in the, as you're because you're right along the equator. So there was one night we went just went out on deck and looked at the stars, and you're seeing 
they just look different and things are in different places than they were at home, which was also really cool. You know, just again, another reminder that, hey, we're not we're not in, you know, the, the northeast or the mid-Atlantic of the United States. It was it was fun. Any highlights that we've missed or takeaways you wanted to be sure to relay? I, th- I think just, uh, and I've mentioned some of these already, but uh, this is an active trip. It's not, uh, you know, it's not something that if you if you're looking for the kind of trip where you mostly get to, you know, lounge and stuff. This is probably not that the trip you want to do. I, I will say again, uh, and particularly our guide, we had this guide, Tamara, shout out to Tamara. She was awesome and so great at talking with the kids, but also talking to, you know, sometimes you get people who can talk really well to adults, some people who talk really well to kids. She did really well with both of us and, and creating a real connect for, for the kids as they were doing their things. I, I will tell you one frustration that I had, and, and ABD does this sometimes, but not all the time. Like by the end, you've spent a lot of time and you want to share photos with these other people. And they've done that on our other ABD trips. This one, I said, are you guys going to hand out, you know, give, send everyone out an email and then we can all stay in touch with one another? And they said, no, we can't do that. I'm not sure I totally buy, but whatever. I ended up, you know, doing a sign up sheet, getting everyone's information collected and anyone who wanted, you know, if you didn't want to, that's fine. But I, so I ended up taking on that task, which was fine. And so it's been great too. when we were in Norway, I sent everyone an email of us dropping off our Galapagos mail to folks. And so it's been great to stay in touch with with these other folks and and particularly the kids. You know, we you know, maybe we'll get lucky enough to do another trip with with some of those kids who Nick got a kick out of hanging out with them. So it was a little bit frustrating to me that that ABD wouldn't do that, but it's all good. It's all good. What about, what about you, Sam? Any highlights from your perspective that we missed? Highlights were, I guess, just discovering something new that was kind of off my radar. Coming away from the trip, I, I very much am of the opinion that if you and your family are able to go on a trip like this, specifically this itinerary with Adventures by Disney, maybe, definitely do it. I think you need to have a little bit of self-awareness about what your capabilities are. But again, just like any other Disney trip, you can kind of tailor it. You can sit out the activities that are going to be a little too intense. You can you can do the ones that you really want to do. But it was really exceptional. It was I, it's certainly a bucket list trip without me knowing that it was a bucket list trip. The one main concern, comparison I have to make between this ABD and others is the Adventures by Disney guides on this trip were much more hands-off than they were, for example, on the uh, London and Paris trip, where they are taking care of everything. They are the ones who are answering your every beckoning call. On this trip, it is really the naturalists and the staff of the ship who are taking care of everything. The Adventures by Disney guides are kind of stepping back, letting everything run its course. They know that the... the Galapagos legend is going to do everything that they need to do to make sure everyone has a great time, but they are also still there if they need to step in and take care of anything. All right. Well, Nick, you got to accompany Chris and Sam on this amazing Galapagos cruise we've been talking about. And uh, well, let me start with, did you have a favorite part or a favorite memory from the cruise? Well, I think my favorite part was probably all the people. They were all so nice and it was fun meeting new people and going on like one of our first cruises after covid so yeah that was really fun what did you think about all the um the shore excursions were pretty active what did you think about all those those active you know hiking and all that sort of stuff was that was that fun for you it was very tiring so <laughs> i was like falling asleep midway through i was just walking and i was so tired 
it takes a lot out of you. What, what did you think about seeing some of the um, the animals and wildlife close up? That was amazing because whenever you're like somewhere else, all the animals run away from you. So when you're there, they don't run away from you. They just look at you like if they were your pet dog, they just look at you and sit there and watch as you get closer and closer to them. Nick was particularly fascinated by being an 11-year-old. We were in the booby group. And so, Nick, do you want to talk a little bit about that? So, yeah, we were the booby group. They were the albatross, the iguanas, the tortoises, so on. And as he said, we were the boobies. So whenever we went and saw another group all together, we would yell, boobies, <laughs> really loudly. And everybody else just looked at us and like gave us the side eye and was like, what? And thankfully, I never had to have the discussion, but I explained to Nick that this was something, it works really well in the Galapagos. As uh, as we say, it doesn't work so well in, in school. You yell boobies and I'm likely to get a call. So, uh, but Nick's smart enough to know that. Is there something in particular that you you learned on the trip that uh, still stands out for you? That the Galapagos is much cooler than I thought it was going to be. That's what I learned. <laughs> Tem- you mean temperature wise, or that it was it was more fun than you thought it was going to be, <laughs> or both? Both. <laughs> both. Both. Well, would you go back? Probably, if I had the chance. Probably, as long as. I know how much it would cost. (laughs) Fair enough. We also got to see uh, two alpha sea lions fighting on the beach. So like we were swimming and there was this, when I was swimming and it just looked like a manatee. And then when the other one came up and then attacked it and then swam away, it started moving like a dolphin going through the water. Well, yeah, I mean, it sounds like the wildlife is the star of the show and it sounds like you got a lot of great close-up time with the wildlife and it sounds like you had a fun time overall and you you tell other kids your age it's a fun thing to do yes what did you think of the 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 kids club that we were talking earlier that the kids club is not a disney kids club but give give folks your sense of it nick so from my site a lot of adults think like if you put a beanbag chair there then all the kids will flock to it and of course, there were three bean bags, and that was about it. Three bean bags, two chairs, and a giant device, which I did not know how to work. So, like, play video games or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, it definitely sounds like a sparser kids' club experience than you would find on Disney Cruise Line. Although, not surprising, not surprising, because the uh, the star of the show here is really the places you're going. So, but sounds like you had a great trip, Nick, and I really appreciate you sharing some of your thoughts with us. It was nice talking to you. Well, it sounds like an amazing adventure. It certainly piques our interest in doing the Galapagos one day. But I think we've reached that point in the show where I need to hand you over for some arbitrary questions with even more arbitrary rules or the segment we like to call rapid fire. So, Sam, you want to take it away? Yeah. So, Chris and Sam, neither of you have done a regular episode on Disney Cruise Line with us, except for obviously while we are on board uh, the magic in the Norwegian fjords. But 
obviously that was our trip report. So we haven't gotten to do a a regular rapid fire with you guys. So I'm going to give you our regular rapid fire. The first few questions are your Disney favorites. And then the questions after that are going to be your Disney Cruise Line favorites. But all right. So we'll start with who is your favorite Disney or Pixar character? We'll start with Chris. M-I-C. I love the mouse. <laughs> okay, it all started E-Y. with the mouse and I love the mouse. All right. Fair enough. All right. Sam number two. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. What is your favorite Disney or Pixar character? Definitely Robin Hood. Oh, I like it. All right. Favorite Disney or Pixar movie? Sam, we're going to throw this to you first. Uh, favorite Pixar movie is Ratatouille. Favorite Disney movie is probably Robin Hood. There you go. Love it. All right, Chris, what about you? Uh, I love, uh, still love and can watch it over and over again, Inside Out. I just uh, th- think that movie is so magical. And then I for, for the, the real classic, I know there's different definitions of classic Disney, but I go all the way back to Peter Pan, love Peter Pan, still can watch it today and, and just love every moment of it. Oh, awesome. Both great ones. And of course, you picked one of Nathan's favorite, Chris, which is Inside Out. So love that one. All right. Now a favorite Disney song. Chris, we'll start with you. So uh, do, do like uh, the music from Happily Ever After, does that count as a Disney song? Yes, that counts as a Disney song. And you're not the first person to pick Happily Ever After, actually. I, I love the, uh, you know, those kinds of fireworks musics where I get a whole bunch of songs put it, put together and, you know, and they're just, when I'm having a really bad day, I put on the that music in the background and it just, it makes me, puts me in a much better place. I love that. Sam, what about you? Favorite song? At least out loud, I won't say I'm in love. <laughs> I know you were going to pick that because I, I actually knew that from our chats on board the Disney Magic that you love Megara from Hercules and love that song. So I love that. Such a good song. All right. Let's talk about what you like on Disney Cruise Line ships. So we're going to start out with favorite Disney Cruise Line stage show. Chris, what's your favorite stage show on Disney Cruise Line? I know this is not everyone. I know it's not your favorite. And it, it, I like the uh, the ones where they have multiples. So I get to hear a whole bunch of Disney songs uh, together in a um, uh, in one. So I, I think probably Believe, which we saw on the on the Disney Magic when we were on it on board. They pulled out the one section that I really loved, which was the Pinocchio scene because it was kind of DJ. They replaced it with the Frozen scene. And yeah, kind of DJ Jazzy Jeff Pinocchio. I thought it was I, I always enjoyed that. But um, so that one would probably be my favorite. But I, I mean, I put me in anyone and I'm a pretty happy camper. All right, Sam. I'm going to say twice charmed because again, you get a a nice mix of a bunch of different characters and a a fun story. That's a little, little bit of a spin off of the original. Yeah, I like that. I, you know, I hadn't seen it before this cruise on the, uh, the Fjords cruise with you guys. And I actually really liked it as well. Favorite onboard activity while on the ship. Sam, let's start with you. I really... At least this cruise, I really found a new appreciation for all the game shows. Those were a lot of fun. There's a lot of variety. There's something to keep everybody entertained. They were a really good time. I just love sitting on a Disney ship with my with my book and watching, you know, the islands or sea float by and reading, sitting with friends and talking, you know, over a good drink or glass of wine is amazing. I, I think I love Disney ships. I just I think they're they're very special places in the world. Favorite bar space then, uh, since you mentioned having, you know, having drinks with some friends, 
where, where do you like to do that on board? And it can be, you can choose from all of the ships that you've been on, Chris. So let's start with you. I love that space on the on the fantasy and dream. The I think it's the Compass Lounge. Is that what it's called? Oh no, Meridian. Meridian. I love Meridians because um, you can. There's outside space, uh, but just that bar in and out of itself is gorgeous. They have uh, very good cocktails. I'm. Um, I, I love. I think it's a. I think it's a very magical spot. Sam, what about you? Favorite bar space on it again on any of the ships you've been on. Mine is a top uh, toss-up between the Meridian that Chris just mentioned and the Skyline Lounge. I like the Meridian for all the same reasons he mentioned, but the Skyline Lounge is so fun because their their drink list is so creative. I could I could do without the glow cubes, but they have a really fun and imaginative way of doing these drinks. Yes, we we have a ton of glow cubes at home from Skyline <laughs> as well. Regular Disney cruise liners, all they come home with all those glow cubes. All right. Favorite rotational dining, which restaurant space, and it could be based on atmosphere, food, show, whatever, but which one is your favorite? Sam, let's start with you. I'm going to say probably Lumiere's. It seems to have the best lighting. (laughs) Some of the other ones are a little dark, but that one stays pretty consistent. So I like that. Fair enough. Chris, what about you? Uh, I think I'm cheating a little bit, but uh, Animator's Palette in uh, all both the classic and the Dream Class ships, um, and both because I love Turtle Talk with Crush. I I have so much fun, and and the repeatability of those shows is amazing. And I also we've had so much fun doing our drawings uh, when you get and then they animate them, which still blows my mind that they do that in that amount of time. And then my drawing. Or my son's drawing is their dancing and seeing the kid's face when they see their drawing up there dancing up on the screen is just I think it's just uh, it's a fantastic place. So creative. Totally. Yeah, totally agree. It's it's it was it's brilliantly done. I, I think on on all four ships that it's on. All right. We got to go to food a little bit. We got to touch on best food items. OK, what is your favorite savory food item, Chris? Um, I usually get the, uh, they have the lobster night on the seven night cruises. So I love, I, I, I don't get lobster that often. So that's kind of my, my favorite thing. I, I think. Sam, what about you? Favorite savory item? This is going to sound really lame, but I, uh, on this last cruise, particularly, I kept just getting the, uh, the salmon and asking for multiple fillets of salmon and they would bring it to me with some mashed potatoes, uh, hit the spot every time. <laughs> nice. All right. Favorite sweet food item. We'll start with you, Sam. Oh, uh, give me a minute on this. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We'll start He's with not Chris. The sweet then. person. Uh, well, you guys know <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes I know exactly I'm, what you're going to pick, Chris. I'm like picky about desserts. And like if, it, and there are two things that I adore, which are ice cream and chocolate. So you put it in a Mickey Mouse shape and it's pretty awesome. So I often on the Disney ships get just a Mickey bar as my, and so I will go with the Mickey bar. But I will say, particularly, and I think they do it on all the the Dream and now the Wish class ships. You can go upstairs to that to the Sunday, you know, the that they have, and it's different named on every ship. And you can order a Sunday delivered to your dining table, and they'll do, and it comes either in a Mickey Mouse uh, like little pants kind of thing, or in a race car on for Vanellope's one. They do it in different ways, but it's it's super fun. And uh, talk about a way to get all your uh, the tables around you wondering how did they get that it's a fun way to do a kind of celebration thing on board a ship so all right sam you've had a lot of time to think your sweet item i so i'm probably gonna say that apple strudel that i had 
after watching Great British Baking Show, I've become very adventurous in my dessert selections. So if I see something that sounds interesting or something that they made on the Great British Baking Show, I'm just ordering that. I don't care what it is. <laughs> but the best thing that I had recently was going to, it's, it's definitely that apple strudel. All right. I'm going to ask two more questions and then you'll be all done with rapid fire. So which one is your favorite Disney Cruise Line ship? This one is a really hard question. Sam, let's start with you. I'm going to say just for the, I guess for the the spaces that they have available, I'm going to say the fantasy. They have my favorite lounges, uh, some of the better I, I like their pool deck up there. I, I know that ship the best because it's the one that I've been on the most. So I'm a little partial to the fantasy for those reasons. That makes sense, Chris. It, it, this literally is is like choosing favorite child. But I love the classic ships and going. I think if you can ever take the classic ships to go to Castaway Key, it's awesome because it feels just empty. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> it's so different than when you're on the Dream Class. But I will also agree with Sam. I think the fantasy is. Um, just such a not only a lovely ship they use all the spaces well it um i, I just uh, i adore that place and so um and it's also the one that i think i've been on the most so i'll go with fantasy all right my last question is bucket list cruise so anywhere in the world you could go on a disney ship where would you go it doesn't have to be someplace that disney cruise line currently sails but it could be i mean they just announced australia and new zealand so uh, Chris, where are you going to go on a Disney cruise? So I am ex- so excited that the Wonder is uh, is going east, and I hope that one of these new ships actually makes a home out uh, out in the Asia or something like that. We're doing uh, Greece next summer, which we're very excited about um, the Greek Isles trips, and and we've wanted to do like the uh, I've done Panama Canal, but I know Sam would love doing Panama Canal. I'd love to do that on a Disney ship. But I think the Asia ones would be just uh, amazing. And I hope they expand their current repertoire to that part of the world. Awesome. Sam, what about you? I really want to do the Alaska cruise, but I think my next bucket list cruise is going to be the 11 night Northern Europe. I love everything about Europe. I want to visit all the cities. And that one has a lot of ports of call that are really barking at my tree. And I would love to do that one. Well, those are some great answers for Rapid Fire. And uh, we really, really appreciate you sharing some of your Disney favorites with us. And most of all, sharing your amazing Galapagos trip with us. Chris, do you want to let folks know where they can follow along with all of your adventures? Because you have quite a fun Instagram feed full of fun photos and pictures from your trips. So do you want to let folks know where they can find you? And you're also a travel agent. So feel free to let folks know where they can book with you if they'd like. To. I am a travel agent with Dreams Unlimited Travel. So you can find me. I, I have my own little niche in the world. It's called Yensid Travel. For those of you who don't know, Yensid is the sorcerer and the sorcerer's apprentice. And it's Disney spelled backwards. So it's really easy. So Yensid Travel, I'm that on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And if you go to yensatravel.com, you can uh, uh, find me. So, Well, as I said, great having you both on. We will definitely have to have you back after your Greek Isles cruise. That is on our bucket list of cruising as well. So looking forward to talking to you more in the future. Thanks, Sam and Chris. Thanks. Nice talking to you. As always, thank you so much out there for listening to our show this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you can keep getting great content from the DCL Duo each week. Please also head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us those five-star reviews. And if you leave us a written review, we will read it on the air in our main show each and every week. We love connecting with you, our listeners, and hearing your feedback. So head over there, leave us a review. If you'd like to send us a question or be a guest on the show, please email us at dclduo at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media at dclduo. You can also connect with our show via our voicemail 
line. If you'd like to send us a question, a comment, or otherwise have us address your feedback on the air, then just leave us a message at 402-413-5590. That's 402-413-5590. If you'd like even more great content from the DCL Duo, you can always browse to youtube.com slash DCL Duo for our vlog. If you'd like to help support the show, you can always browse to patreon.com slash DCL Duo and choose from one of our monthly support tiers. Really do appreciate each and every one of our Patreons out there for making this show happen each and every month. We also really appreciate our amazing show sponsor, My Path Unwinding Travel. So if you're looking to book your next fabulous Disney vacation, head over to www.mypathunwinding.com slash DCL Duo to book your next fabulous vacation. Use that link so they know the DCL Duo sent you. The DCL Duo podcast is not affiliated with Disney Cruise Line, the Disney Company, or the Disney family of theme parks. The views expressed on the show are solely those of the individuals on the podcast and in no way reflect the views of Disney Cruise Line or the Disney Company. If you have questions about a Disney cruise or a Disney vacation, please contact Disney directly or your own travel agent. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time for another fabulous Disney adventure with the DCL Duo. Good night. Good night.